on the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. So Mary's just doing what she usually does. Just an average day for her so far. But little does she know that everything is about to change. And not just for her personally, and not even just for her family, not, not even just for her town, but for the entire world. And not just for those existing at that time during those days, but the entire world was about to be changed from that point until eternity. And she's just doing, again, she's just going about her normal day when she has an encounter with this angel. And the angel comes up to her and she says, blessed are you, you're favored among women. And the Bible actually tells us she's, she's startled. She doesn't know what's going on. So she says, what does this greeting mean? And so the angel goes on to say, You've been chosen. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to give birth to name, to, and you're going to name him Jesus or Emmanuel, which means God is with us. She goes on to explain, how could I be pregnant? I've never been with a man. I'm engaged, but I'm not even married. And the angel explains, because the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. And you're going to, have, you're going to give birth to the Son of God himself. And most of us believe, and probably most of us have lived our entire life believing that the Christmas story starts there. But it doesn't. The Christmas story doesn't start in that encounter in Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 1. The Christmas story actually began 4,000 years earlier. In this place called, that we call now the Garden of Eden. You see, that place was actually, it was literally heaven on earth. You've heard people say, it was like heaven on earth. That literally was heaven on earth. There was no pain. There was no theft. There was no sickness. There was no death. There weren't even anybody hurting each other's feelings. Everything was absolutely perfect. There was no shame. If you read Genesis, uh, you, you, you realize that. Genesis chapter 3, you realize there's absolutely no shame. Everything was perfect. The reason everything was perfect was because we didn't know sin yet. We hadn't sinned yet. We hadn't, we hadn't messed up. But it wouldn't be long. It wouldn't take long. Until Eve gets deceived by the, by the serpent. Way to go, ladies. She's deceived by the serpent. She takes of the fruit that God had specified. You can, you can have any fruit. You can have anything and everything except for this. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So she's deceived. She brings in her husband. He's deceived. They both eat of it. Immediately their eyes are opened up. And, and immediately at that moment, sin enters into the world. So God being a holy God, and, and because the Garden of Eden is a perfect place where there's no sin and it's nothing but holiness, he has to kick them out. 
And he has to kick them out for their own good because if not, they'd eat of the, tr- of the tree of eternal life and then just evil would always exist. It would never end. So God kicks them out. And so begins the payment for sins. And it's established that there, there has to be a payment for sin. So Romans 6.23 now tells us that the punishment for sin is death. And so the way they received forgiveness of their sin was through sacrifice. They'd bring a heifer or a sheep or a dove. Just something, a, a perfect animal. Had to be a perfect animal. Couldn't be, couldn't be the one that had... That was the ugliest one in the herd. Couldn't be the one that had the broken leg or the one that wasn't growing. It couldn't be the orphan calf. It had to be the best. It had to be the perfect one. And so they would bring that. The the father of the household would bring that sacrifice and he would sacrifice for his entire family. About 1,500 years later, we, I don't know if you've noticed this by now, but we just, as a, as a race, man, as a human race, we're terrible. 1,500 year, years after they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, it's gotten really, really bad. Just miserable. And so God decides, man, I've, I've got to do something about this. Because he's a righteous, because he's a just God, he has to do something about it. He cannot just watch injustice and, and unrighteousness uh, happen and go on right before his eyes without him doing, without him saying anything. So he has to do something about it. So he starts speaking to Noah. The only, he says, the Bible says that he looked throughout the entire earth. The only righteous man that he could find was Noah. So he starts speaking to Noah, and even though they were in a drought of like a hundred years, he starts speaking to Noah, and he says, get ready, start building a boat this size with this, because it's going to flood. Noah, being a righteous man, he starts trying to tell people, starts trying to warn people, but they just mock him, they mock him, they mock him. Most of us know the story. Years later, after Noah has, has, create, has finished the ark, it floods, wipes out the entire human race, except for Noah and his family. A few animals in the boat. And now we have a new Adam and a new Eve, if you would. And again, man, we're, we're, we are wretched people. Because it's not that much longer until, and if you read your Bible, you, you, you find out what Noah did is he gets drunk. He gets wasted and he ex- exposes himself to his kids. That's prison time, Right? That's what he does. And God understands and realizes these people, they're wicked. And in and of themselves, they'll never have a way. They will never, ever be able to give enough sacrifices. They'll never, ever be able to uh, uh, find any way to accept, to embrace, to, to earn forgiveness for themselves. So for the next several hundred years... God is using people like Abraham and Jacob and and Moses and David. And God is speaking through these men to the people of Israel. And he's talking to them and trying to bring them back to himself. He's he's calling their names. He's doing whatever he can. Man, He'll, 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 He'll send them into slavery and he'll bring them back out of slavery. Everything that he can to capture their attention and say, Hey, listen here, children. I am God and you need to follow. 
follow me. You need to worship me. And time and time again, we see the people of Israel do this. They'll come back to God when everything's great or when everything's terrible. And then it won't be too long until they're back to worshiping their own gods. They're back to following their own gut. They're they're back to following their own mindset and following their own beliefs. And so for for about 700 years, God uses prophets, people that are speaking on behalf of God, people that are hearing directly from God and telling the people of Israel what it is that God is saying. And again, we see the people of Israel come back to God when they get the fresh message, when they get the I don't know, maybe the butterflies, the warm and fuzzies in their, in their, in their gut. And they start, they start following God for just a little bit. And then again, we see them go right back out. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, he prophesies the coming of Jesus. This is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 years before Mary encounters the angel. He prophesies a young boy being born of a virgin. And this, this boy will grow up to be king. And he'll set Israel free from all oppression. He'll set Israel free from, from all of slavery. And his reign will never end. He will be king not just during his lifetime, but he will be king for eternity. And so the people of Israel, they begin, they begin to become hopeful because they've been oppressed for so long. They begin to, to wait and, 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 and with expectation for this king to come that's going to set them free, that's going to deliver them from the hand of Egypt, from the Roman Empire, from whoever it is that they've been oppressed by and who they've fallen into captivity. But again, they follow God for a bit. And then they fall back into their own ways, into their own beliefs. So then God goes silent. God goes silent for 400 years. For 400 years, God doesn't speak to the people. He doesn't use a prophet. He doesn't use a Moses and Elijah. He, he doesn't, we, we know, we hear, we know nothing about anyone like that for 400 years. And then that's whenever we find Mary with the encounter of the angel. And the angel telling Mary that you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Now remember, Mary is, is engaged at this point. And she's engaged to this young man named Joseph. So Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. And Joseph knows it's not him. So this is actually very interesting to me. But in Matthew chapter 1, it actually says, Joseph being a just man. Or being a good man. He decides to just, he he doesn't make a show out of it. He doesn't make a big spectacle out of it. He doesn't go around burning her in front of everybody. And he he doesn't make this long post on Facebook. Oh, I love you so much and look what you did. He he doesn't do anything. He actually decides to, to handle it privately. And so then that night, after Joseph's made that decision, he has a dream An angel appears to him and says, man, don't leave her. She's telling you the truth. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth 
to the Son of God. So Joseph says, okay, I'll ride this. We'll go with this. And so he marries her. Then in those times, the, the, the then emperor or the king, Augustus, he, 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 he sends out a decree. He wants to take a census. He wants to know how many people from each location, from each town there are. So Joseph, because he comes from Bethlehem, because that's where his family's from. He's actually a descendant from David. So he has to go back to Bethlehem. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine if everybody that ever come through this town had to come back to this town for a couple of weeks? There wouldn't be anywhere to put them. Would you guys agree with that? And then Joseph is traveling, not just him by myself. Listen, I, I go to Indianapolis every Christmas. And whenever it was just me before I was married, about, about a year before I was married, man, I'd get there in 10 hours. 10 hours. Because I, didn't, I, I, stopped for my, I stopped two times. My stops were like for 10 minutes. Enough to put in some gas, do my business, grab a couple of Crispitos, and let's go. I got married. 10 hours turned into 12 hours. Because now you got to put in gas, and then you got to sit down and eat, and you got to stretch. Then we had kids. Now it takes two days. Joseph is traveling back to Bethlehem with an extremely pregnant wife. So not only is he going back to a crowded city, but he's late. He's late. So he doesn't get the nice hotel. He goes to the last hotel, the last inn that he thought would be full. And he asks, is there any room? And he says, no. Now, I'm going to be honest. Growing up hearing this story, and even the cartoons that I watched, the, the innkeeper was a bad guy. He was a mean guy. Anybody else ever have that experience or ever have that thought? Like, he was a mean guy. Like, no, get out of my place. Like, there was no room. It's not like it was his fault. He was just, he was booked. He had too many people already in his little hotel. But... He's a decent guy, so he says, you know what, I have absolutely no room in the inn, but what I, where I do have some space is in my barn. Now, it's full of donkeys and sheep and I don't know what else is in the nativity scene, but uh, it's, it's, it's full of all of that, but you might be able to make a little space. And so now we have the nativity scene and we have baby Jesus in a manger. And so today, all I want to do really is I just want to ask you two questions. So this is a Christmas story, okay? That's, that's, it, it, it doesn't start right there with Mary. It starts 4,000 years earlier, why Jesus had to come to start out with. And I just want to ask you two questions. The first question I want to ask you is, how much can you relate or do you relate to the people of Israel? And whenever I ask you that question, what I'm asking you is, how on and off is your faith? How consistent are you in following Jesus? How just decided, how committed, that's probably the best way to ask it. How committed are you to Jesus? Because if we read, you can read the entire Old Testament, and what you'll see is 
You'll see people who followed Jesus for a little bit. When everything was good, they go off and start making their own idols. They go off and start following their own ideas. And before you know it, they're off, they're off the bandwagon. And then something bad happens, and here they come back to Jesus. How much can you relate to that? How committed are you in your faith? Are you, are you super committed whenever you got the warm and fuzzies? When you felt the butterflies at church? When that message was just on par and the worship team does what they usually do? And then it's short-lasting? I just want to tell you, man, there's so much more to following Jesus than that. There's so much more than just the on and off. The on again, off again. There's so much more than just every now and then filling God. There's so much more than just every now and then hearing from God. Can I tell you that God is talking to you every single day? And if we're not hearing from God, it's not because He's not speaking. It's because we are not listening there's so much more to faith. There's so much more to Jesus than I believe most of us have even scratched the surface of. The second question I want to ask you is, how much can you relate to the innkeeper? He wasn't a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He just had too much going on already. He was just too full. And he was nice enough to to have a little bit of space for Jesus. But it wasn't where he should have been. How much, how much can we relate to that? How much space have you made for Jesus? Do you really make room for Jesus? Is Jesus front and center in your heart or is he on the back of your mind? Is there really space for God to move in your heart and in your life? Is there really space for Jesus? Or have we just filled our lives with everything else? And so I get to Jesus whenever I can. Those are the only two questions I want you to think about this Christmas. How committed are you? Because there's so much more. Church, come on. There's so much more than what so many Christians live. There's so much more to this. God wants to move in your life more than what you even have an idea. You have so much inside of you. So much inside of you. If you just let God move, man, I'm telling you, it'd be incredible. Make some space for Jesus. Don't make him stay in the barn. Don't fill your life with everything else, with everybody else. You just don't have room for him. You're not bad. You're not bad people. You're nice. You do some good things. You don't beat your wife or anything. But you're just not making room. You're just not making space for Jesus. Make some space today.
hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this has impacted you and you would like to help us to continue to reach others, please text GIVE to the number in the description. For more information about us and our ministry, go to theremodeledchurch.com.